Hello. Welcome back to the Space Fish Spacecast. As always, I am your good friend, Dan Thoreau, and I am joined by one of my good friends, at least I hope so, John Cloudus. Hey, how's it going? Welcome, John. Hey, nice to be here. How are you doing today? Oh, man, I can't complain. Another day? Yeah, man. Are you cooped up? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I'm cooped up. My, my normal day job is uh, I'm salaried and I'm still on right now, but uh, it's been pretty sparse as far as... Uh, what I've had to do. So just kind of, kind of waiting in the wind, see what happens. So have you been on lockdown? Uh, yeah, well, you know, my wife uh, works from home uh, part of the time anyways. So I guess probably it's been, I guess we're going on the fourth week that she's been working oh, wow. from home. Um, and then I started working from, or working from home, not going into the office about a week after she did. So I guess I'm going on like three weeks of not steadily being in the office. Mm-hmm. So, but I get out, you know, I play smart. I mean, we got to get groceries. Uh, you know, we've got animals. I got to get, you know, pet supplies, building stuff. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I've been going to the store every day or anything, but, you know, trying to, trying to keep it limited and get what I need when I get out and get back home safe. So, yeah. So how, so lately I've been passing the time by playing, uh, an unfortunate quantity of online board games. Oh, Okay. Do you ever play online board games? Man, you know, I used to play, uh, I played Nurishima, Nurishima Hex uh, on my iPhone. When I first got an iPhone for like a year. And I, I oh, yeah. I like the top ranked players there for a little bit. Uh, oh, nice. Good job. Yeah, man. I mean, this was, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I've never actually played that, that game in person, but I can't imagine that after playing it, like everything automated, that it would be as enjoyable. <laughs> in person in the physical game as it would be yeah as it would be in the uh, digital form um but yeah i played that uh ascension uh, i played a good bit of that on my phone uh, i haven't in a while um and of course uh, i try to play a game or two of tiny islands every day which is a game that you enter yeah what a great little game i love tiny islands i just it's it's great i mean it's just such a like weird time sink of you know 10 or 15 minutes and you know right. it's a little i don't know i mean it's nothing it's great but it's not anything like groundbreaking it's just it's presented in a really cute easy to play form and it's you know it does what it's supposed to do with the least amount of clicks so you're a bit of a professional at making things that do a lot with very few clicks i try <laughs> <laughs> so um I wanted to ask you because I, I feel like it's uh, it would be considered rude to our listeners to not talk to you about Omen, A Reign of War. Or mo- maybe I'm just okay. saying that for my sake because that's one of my favorite games ever made. Yeah, people like it. I like to say I don't know why, but it's it's a pretty fun game. It's one of the few games that I've designed that I don't get tired of playing, really. Uh, it's one of the few games that I'll actually still play of mine that I'm not working on or have just published. So how long has it been since you designed uh, Omen? uh 2011 so nine years 2011 or 2012 i can't remember that part of that that part of games for me is a little hazy but yeah it came out i want to say either the beginning of 2011 or right at 2012 i can't remember but it's been you know eight or nine years do you ever feel like your designs are trying to escape the shadow of it every game i make oh really (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's it's hard man like it, just within my own uh, library of things I've created, 
just you take it out of that and put it in, you know, the greater context of two player card games. And it's like, you know, I get it. It's a, it's a limited audience, but every, every game I make is not quite as good as Omen to other, to me, I think I've made games that are better than Omen, but I guess just for like the package and the variability and how long it's been around, you know, how many people say it's great that people can then play it and say, no, it's not great. (laughs) It's a, you know, again, it's been in print for like eight years on and off um, and people are still buying it. So I did something right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if I, I thought I had done it and some people thought I did it. Other people didn't. Um, but, you know, so far, yeah, I don't think I've made anything that people have said, you know, resoundingly, this is better than Omen. I don't know if I ever will. Yeah, unanimous. And that's fine. Yeah. Have so what what games have you made that you have thought were better than Omen? I mean, I think the North's better than Omen. I think the North does what Omen does with fewer cards. Okay. Um that and adds in a couple different, you know, different things that Omen doesn't have. Uh you know, it's got you know, Omen has the economy of cards and coins, and the North has the economy of actions. And in both of those games you're trying to maximize what you can do with your limited resources and how you you know, how you choose to use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both combo driven. They're both, uh, you know, can have some splashy turns. I think they're both really good looking games. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And they're, both, they're both two player games. Um, I just, I think the North accomplishes a lot of the same things that Omen accomplishes and, you know, fewer cards, but the downside of the North, well, I think, you know, the North's a really cool looking game and I love the world that like, halfway built around the game it's not greek it's not familiar it's not something that people you know can look at and instantly say oh yeah okay this makes sense to me so do you think that held it back maybe a little bit uh maybe i don't know um you know it was my first game back as small box games in a couple years um but it still had a really good showing on kickstarter for me um, most people who have played it really like it. Um, I don't know what I could have done differently to make it more successful um, or make it better. Like I know there's little things like you had mentioned in, in your uh, in your review of the game. You know, wanting to know what's on the back of the other cards. From a design standpoint, I did that on purpose. Oh, okay. um, I like to design my games to be. I don't ever try to tell people how to play my games. That's not my job. Um, but what I try to do is present games in a way that people can enjoy them however they want to enjoy them. And with the North, I wanted people to be able to either take it as seriously or as light as they wanted to. Like if you wanted to like immerse yourself in the game after three or four games, you would know what was on the back of those cards. You know what I mean? Right. But if like you were just playing it once or twice, eh, maybe you do, maybe you don't depending on, and I know that sets up some stuff for like yeah, people having more experience with the game being better at it. But same thing with Omen. I mean, if it's your first time playing Omen versus somebody who's played it 10 times, they're probably going to win because they know what the cards do just by looking at them. Right. So maybe I should introduce Omen for those who don't know it. It's um, So Omen is, as you said, it's a Greek game, um, but it's not very Greek. It's 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 Greek themed. That yeah. There's a Greek setting. Yeah, Greek. And who now who do you play as in Omen? In Omen, you play as the... Uh, Rival half god siblings, uh, sibling children of Zeus, trying to vie for in the original Omen, trying to vie for the uh, the admiration of the the different gods, so that you can you know be the half god ruler of 
of the human world. And uh, so it's a familiar genre these days, I think. So what would you call that that format of playing a game? Would you call that like an area majority game? Would you call it a shot and tot? What would you call that? You know, I've never played shot and tot. I've played battle line on my phone. I don't understand why people compare it to Omen. Uh, because at least in the version that I played, there's like no special powers or anything. You're just basically trying to lost cities, your opponent. Yeah. I get that they look familiar, but like, that's like saying chess and checkers look familiar because they both have squares. Yeah. They've got an eight Um, by eight grid. Right. Um, and I'm not trying to like be an asshole or anything. I just, (laughs) I don't, there's a lot of times when people are like, this reminds that. And I'll get back to that in a second. This reminds me of, of this game it's just like this game and i'm like no it's not just because it's got cards doesn't mean it's just like poker right but yeah it's an area control card game like we talked about there's a there's a economy to it that i don't think a lot of card games that are in this kind of genre have um because your cards you know there's cards and those coins but your cards can also be currency so it's i don't know it's neat it's a it's got neat things going for it Right. I mean, I would, I would sing its praises, but I feel like I've done that enough in my lifetime. Um, yeah. How many times have I reviewed it? Like six or something? Uh, 97 is the last count I think I had. I don't know. It's, it, uh, you've, you've reviewed it a lot, like every version of it, I think, which I mean, to me says a lot because, you know, there's so many games out there that, that, you know, I personally think are better than Omen that even once I didn't design um, that you're still, you know, come back to it again and again. Most of the time I get it wrong and it ends up <laughs> just being something that is like the majority of my games, people who get it and understand it, like it or love it. And those people who think they were getting a light card game because it's $13 don't like it because it's not a light card game. Right. I think the comparison is a little unfair too, in that Omen has really refined over editions. Um, one of the reasons that I've written about it so often is I feel like there's a huge difference um, between the second edition, which is where I came into it, which was this box that was heavy with cards. Um, and then when you get to the Olympus and Omega edition, they, they each have these little refinements. And now it has a commercial mm-hmm. release through Colossal Games. Um, right. And they're all different. Um, yeah. Even to the point where they feel pretty significantly different to me. Whereas yeah. the North is just yeah. there, right? It's uh, right. What do you, what were you going to say? No, that I think every version, I, and that's you know what I've tried to tell people, you know, past and present. I, I think regardless of what, I think everybody has their favorite version of Omen if they've been around for a while, favorite edition, um, for different reasons. But I think like that, no copy of Omen that you have is obsolete. Uh, you may be, you may not be able to add the newest stuff to it um, without a lot of work, but it's still the same game at its core. Um, and that's what, you know, I, I never imagined that I would make a game that people would buy multiple copies of. That's just, that's mind blowing to me. Um, that's not why I made extra or additional editions. I made additional editions for people who didn't have the game yet. And it's, it's just crazy to me, the number of people who bought it over and over again. Well, John, I'm going to blow your mind. Are you ready? I'll try it. I'm sitting down. I am. I own four copies of Omen. And they're all different. Yeah, they're all different. That's more than I own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still have my second edition. I have Olympus Omega, and I do have the the full Colossal set. Wow! And what's your favorite of all of them? 
Um, probably Olympus. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a good. I mean, it was a good stepping stone, I think, in between the second, the first and second editions, and the uh, the Omega edition because they introduced the single card mechanic and stuff, uh, which you know became kind of what Omen became. Because that's the thing, people. I think like Omen first and second edition were out for like a year, and everything else Omen has came out has been based on the Omen uh, has been based on the Olympus edition. Mm-hmm. So like the majority. of life that omen has had has been in its form that that you know isn't the first or second edition now is that the edition that the backs of the cards are the beasts yes that's yeah that's the i started that in the uh olympus edition yeah but like every time i did a new edition i tried to make sure that i offered you know an upgrade of some sort for people who already owned it right at a discount like so they didn't have to go all in again um because you know, I think with every every edition I did with the game, I did something that made it better or made it. And I hate you know say more like there were more options because it seemed like that's what people wanted with Omen. Um, but you know, I mainly switched from the from the format of the original to the you know what would become Omen because of price like because you have the second edition, it's like ninety seven thousand cards, and I couldn't you know <laughs> I couldn't be like hey come buy this game, this two player card game for $45. It just, it wasn't realistic. Right. And so in fact, I, I think you underestimated. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I think it Cards? I think it has more. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot. It's like a nine foot long box. Yeah. It's, I think it's hefty. It's yeah. thick. It's a cool, I mean, it was a cool box. I mean, I was really happy with those boxes. Those and the ones that I did for Hemlock, they were cool, but man, boxes, they're a pain, but I understand that you're a, a professional at stretching boxes. Oh, it, man, you know, you got to do what you got to do to make things right. And, you know, for for the North, I had to hand stretch boxes to make them work. It wasn't fun, but uh, that's the boxes that were delivered and the humidity mm-hmm. made them smaller. So I had to make it work. I appreciate my box for the North all the more since I learned that story. I'm glad. I was so excited. You don't, I mean... Coming back from not doing small box games for two years and doing this and like seeing the package that I created for the North for thirteen bucks, I was like, "All right, I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm creeping my way to being back and you know, back in the saddle at small box games." I was just, I was so proud of the presentation of the North and just the dense little like brick of a game it was, and then the boxes were of no fault of anybody involved. You know, it came from a cold place to a warm place and they swelled and shrank a little bit and, you know, had to, <laughs> had to make them fit. Yeah. But, you know, still looks good, though, I think. Do you think but, you might do another yeah. edition of the North? Uh, when I do the South, yeah. Oh, you're doing the South. Yeah, that was, uh, thanks, COVID. But, yeah, it's, uh, that got put on the back burner. It's, uh, that was going to be the. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, this thing, I mean, I'm not trying to, I've got it, I'm, we're doing wonderful. I have no complaints. Um, but, you know, it's, you had a lot of stuff planned and uh, this happened and now they're all on hold, just like everybody else in board game, which I, you know, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me that Kickstarters are still funding the way that they're funding. Um, right. And I get it. Like the bigger companies, they have a much longer timeline than I would ever feel comfortable doing. Um, but still there's so much uncertainty with all of that. And I get it. We got to get back to, you know, some sense of, 
of normalcy at some point or else we're just going to be you know stuck in this but at the same time like you don't know that that factory is going to be open in six months right uh yeah frost haven i think is at 6.7 million dollars today that's that game looks like my nightmare no offense to the guys who who made it it just it's like the antithesis of anything fun to me well you're small box boy well it's just not just in the games i make but the games i enjoy playing like with the exception of you know with the exception of warhammer um you know if i'm going to play something i want to be able to play you know play it a handful of times back to back to back or be able to play like five or six different things and like when you're playing a game like blue maven or like mezzo um you know it's that takes up so much gaming bandwidth and it's, I don't know. It, it's just not the way my mind works. Gloomhaven, those guys should be really proud. I mean, obviously they are, but yeah, this is not my kind of like that Dungeons and Dragons, any kind of like adventure based scenario based, like multiplayer kind of game. Like, uh, no, <laughs> it's just, it just, it, they weren't made for me, man. And I get it. My games aren't for everybody either. So you've mentioned that you've had a few other games that you have considered as things that might be better than Omen. Do you have any other examples beyond the North? Better than? No. I mean, no, I don't think, I think the North's better than Omen. Um, I think I've made a couple games that are, are as good as Omen, uh, but in a totally different kind of vein. I think Neolithic is, is as good as Omen. Sure. Um, but it's a totally, and again, it's because it does what it does with the components it has, which Sounds like I'm saying nothing, but all I'm getting at is it it's a full game with not a whole lot of components. I don't know. I think uh, I just released a game uh, like two weeks ago called Bronze Age that, you know, and again, like I said, I try to under under promise over deliver is one of the funnest to me games that I've ever made. It's just it, it ticks all of my buttons for what I enjoy about games. And it's just I don't know. It's pretty cool. It does a whole lot with the with the deck of cards in the same kind of vein as like a, a Neolithic or cartouche dynasties kind mm-hmm. of, you know, civilization drafting, building multiple action kind of thing. So, so what is bronze age? Uh, what does it do? What is it like? You've got each player has a basic civilization and a specialized civilization. And every card has one set of basic icons on it. And there are three different um, there's society exploration and prosperity. And then on the other side of the card is a set of icons for the specialized. So like everybody can use every card, but each one of those players has a specialized civilization that only deals with two of those icons. So each player is going after different icons. Maybe they have one that overlaps, but like you may be interested in agriculture and warfare, and I'm interested in artistry and warfare. Mm -hmm. So the, two sides of those cards have different things that when you play them to your civilization, either grant you an ability points or some combination of the two at the end of the game. And the back of each card, uh, depending on what the basic uh, civilization icon is, is either uh, the sea, the plains or the mountains. And you gain those territories as you play the game. And when the collapse happens, that happened in the Mediterranean bronze age, you lose like half your stuff and then you finish the game building again off of what you lost. So you score points for like having the most prosperity, the most exploration, uh, focusing on your special. There's a, there's like, there's a bunch of different paths to victory. Every card can be played differently. Um, the way the actions work is very, very neat. When you play an action card, 
you play it to one of three decks that has one of those, one of those territory showing. Um, and you have three action cards at the beginning of the game that correspond to those three territories, but you don't have to play your C action to the C deck. You can play it to the planes. You don't get as much when you do it, but you can still do it. Okay. And then when you return the actions, you get actions based on how many other actions are still there. So like if me and you are both gunning for the same thing, you can, you can take advantage of that and return an action and get more actions than I would have gotten had I waited. It's, it's a weird like combo timing kind of game. It's just like, I don't, I like it a whole lot. <laughs> so the Bronze Age Collapse occurs uh, in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does, is that how the game ends or is that in the middle or? Oh, no. So when one of the, during the start, so the, the first player is always the first player through the whole game. It just goes back and forth. But that first player who takes the first turn is marked as being the first player. So at the end of, at the end of his turn, if any of the decks are empty, the collapse happens. And when the collapse happens, each player discards down to three action uh, icons in their hand, uh, discards all their territories except for one. And there's three different types. So like if you have two mountains, a, a plains, and three of the sea, you're going to keep the three of the sea and pitch back the other stuff. Okay. Um, but then it repopulates the decks. And then once the deck, once the deck runs out again at the end of the second player's turn, the game ends. And it plays in 20 to 30 minutes. So your game sounds like it's very clear what caused the Bronze Age collapse. Yeah, but we don't know. I mean, that's just I do, that's just such a <laughs> such a thing with the Mediterranean Bronze Age that, like, I don't know, that was low-hanging fruit to use that as a term. I was so excited. I was hoping maybe you would have a theory as to why the collapse happened. No, I don't. <laughs> that's not where my area of expertise in history comes. I mean, I know a little <laughs> bit about it. But, yeah, it's such a fascinating thing because they, they reached the Bronze Age so much sooner than most of the rest of the ancient world. And then like nothing happened for a couple hundred years after the collapse. And then right. suddenly everybody right. in the bronze age and then suddenly in the iron age. And it's, I don't know, it's fascinating. Right. It really is. That's one of those uh, historical mysteries that has always fascinated, not just me, but, but I feel like anyone with a interest in history. Yeah. It's things were going good. And then things weren't kind of yeah. like, you know, every generation, every something happens. Like a like a global pandemic, yeah, right? You know, it, it is what it is. I guess it was only a matter of time, and I guess it could be a whole lot worse. But still, it's weird how easily we can be shut down. So, is this one of the print and play games that you're offering on your shop now? The bronze, yeah, yeah. It it wasn't intended to be a print and play game, but my card factory. The so I had pre orders open, and I had literally had the games. In the cart, pre-orders had closed. I tallied everything up. I was making sure that I was ordering because I, like, I offered it where people could get it with a box or without. Try to do, like, it's me. I make extra work for myself to try to make sure <laughs> that people get exactly what they want. Right. And in the time it took me to enter everything in and to go back and check, my guy at the factory had emailed me and said, we got bad news. Oh, And they no. were shutting down. Yeah, they were shutting down. uh and they were shutting down the next day. Um, and anything that they didn't have in but like the previous Friday wasn't going to get printed. And he wasn't even sure if the stuff they already had in was going to get printed because this was one of the first non... It, it, they're in somewhere that I've never heard of in Kansas or Nebraska. I can't remember. They're out west. But it didn't seem like, you know, somewhere I'd really ever heard of before. But they were like, went to lockdown like 
early on and they're still not open and they're not, I'm not sure if they're going to reopen. I hope they do. They're a pretty good company. Yeah. Um, But yes, when that happened, you know, I, I refunded everybody back their money. Um, I had a couple of people say, you know, I wish you would have just kept my money. I would have loved to have gotten it whenever, but like, I don't know. I I feel bad keeping somebody's money like indefinitely because I don't know because that factory doesn't open back up. There's no guarantee that other factories that used are ever going to open back up. And I'm just stuck with money that I've got to figure out where it goes back to in six months because it never got printed. Right. Um, and that's not, I mean, I don't know. That's not how I'd want to be treated. So I don't, I wouldn't treat somebody out that way. But, uh, so yeah, I went, put it up as a print and play, which print and plays were something I was going to, uh, invest in some this year as I was, you know, re rebuilding small box games, but I just didn't think I was going to do a full print and play, but that's where we're at. Now you've, you've dropped some hints um, about a big game that you've made that maybe instead of being a small box game would be described more aptly as a big box game. That I've made? Yeah. Like, we're talking about Mezzo or something different? Oh, oh Mezzo. Oh, I was like, I don't remember saying I'm making anything big because I'm never <laughs> making another big game again. Um, <laughs> man, yeah, so what about Mezzo? You've said a few times that there's a there are a particular type of game that you enjoy. So, so do you not enjoy Mezzo? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I like, <laughs> yeah, I, they, they did a good job with it. Um, it, there's some things that I would have done differently, but that's one of those things that I learned the hard way. Um, you don't get to make those decisions when it's not your, when it's not your company. Uh-huh. You have to just kind of, you know, voice your concerns and see where they stick. People seem to really like it. Uh, so, you know, they, the one complaint that I see from the, the one overarching complaint I see, I tried to address and I was told that, you know, um, it wasn't going to be an issue because that's something people expected in a game like that. Oh, and okay. yeah, mainly uh, game, game length. I was like, oh, this sure. is, you know, I'm no longer, I'm, I'm no longer really affiliated with Colossal. They're, they still have the rights to a handful of my games. They're still, you know, working on publishing them or have published them. I wish them the best of luck. Um, they have a, they have a business plan that works for them and, you know, works for a lot of people and they keep making games. And some of those games are my games that I designed. So, I mean, I do, I wish them the best of luck, but yeah. with Mezzo, the, one of the things that I was kind of, I wouldn't say it goes far as saying I was adamant about, but I really wanted the game to be variable aged, um, which really shown through in some earlier drafts of the game because I wanted people to be able to jump in. And if they wanted to play, you know, a one age game, that would be satisfying to some people. Right. Or if they wanted to go to three ages, then, you know, because not everybody wants to sit down and play a game for two hours. Right. So why don't, why don't you, so why don't you describe Mezzo for us? Mezzo is a uh, area control um, dudes on a map kind of game. That's really not like a dudes on a map kind of game for one to five players. And it's set in uh, ancient Mayan myth with some, you know, civilization stuff tossed in there. It's really, a, it's a work of fantasy. Um, it's based on the Mayan pantheology, what exists of it. Um, each player controls a real big, massive uh, Mayan deity. And yep. they're a group of followers that you know are worshiping them and wanting to see them succeed. And the God in turn is wanting them to succeed throughout the ages. 
Um, each player has a champion, a uh, group of shaman, and a group of warriors. And they put those out on the board. And when things die, they die forever, um, unless you bring them back from Jamoba. And you score points like 97 different ways. It's more tactics than strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an overarching strategy that you're trying to go for in the game, I think, based on your god and your play style. But it is a very tactical game. Um, I think more so than a lot of games in the genre, which some people really liked and some people couldn't quite wrap their heads around. So one of the things that really surprised me was that it's, you know, you describe it as a dudes on a map game. That's not really a dudes on a map game. Um, That's one of the first things that came through for me is that I sat down expecting um, that there's this, there's there's this recent genre of uh, big mythology dudes on a map games, like uh, blood rage or rising sun um, or even Lords of Hellas. Sure. And they're, they're all trying to do one thing. And so I, I sat down expecting that. And, um, and honestly, I, I liked what I got better than yet another dudes on the map in mythology game. So has, have you played some of those games, John? No, I, I don't. I, yeah. I haven't played. Them. I read, I, I read about them to see like, you know, what they're about, especially like after, starting design on this to figure out kind of what other people were doing with it because mm-hmm. they're starting to be like comparisons. This reminds me of X, Y, and Z. Um, no, I haven't played them. I, I kind of know the idea behind them, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just, I designed Mezzo to be how I would want one of these games to play. If that makes sense. I didn't really have any inkling on how other people had done this. That just, I knew I wanted something that, you know, every turn something was going on. I'm, I'm overall pleased with the game. I'm glad people liked it. I'm glad I got the opportunity to make it. I probably would have never made it otherwise if I had not had um, Colossal Games wanting me to make it. Um, yeah. And I think they did, they did a, they did a good job. Um, there's some component things I would have changed, but again, I'm not in, I'm not in control of that. And you know, sadly, the Kickstarter did not do as good as anybody had hoped it would. So those mm-hmm. opportunities for, you know, that kind of game on Kickstarter to be, you know, upgraded didn't occur. Um, what's a what's an example of a component thing you might have uh, changed or the Kickstarter might have changed if it had gone better? I would have loved to have seen um, some, you know, slightly different markers in the game. They were a little bit easier to not lose. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that, that some of the markers like for marking your upgrades, um, they're, they're like microscopic. They're small. And that's not just my game. I mean, that's, I think, um, something that, that occurs in, in, in many of their games and I understand why they do it. It makes perfect sense. Um, but you know, for Mezzo, when there's so many like moving parts, having something that small is kind of, kind of tough to keep track of sometimes. But again, I understand why they did it. I don't think it, does anything overly negative for the game. It just would have been nice to, to see, you know what I mean? Kind yeah, of some chunkier pieces. Yeah. But you know, who knows if it gets reprinted, who knows what, who knows what comes out. It sounds like this was a collaborative effort as is so often the case with uh, big published games. So sure. what, what parts of the game would you say are yours and what parts of the game are more the development side? Um, or is that just not a fair question? No. Um, I would say somewhere between 70 and 90% of the game and game mechanics 
I created. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40 to 70% of the actual game they did. I don't know how, to, like, it was very much, I think Travis said it the best, is he would give me an idea and I would give it back through him through my lens. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Like, if he had an idea, I'd be like, okay, but let's that let's try it this way. So, like, all the card abilities, uh, the basic gameplay structure, the way things score, that's all stuff from, like, the first draft. Um, the way they're presented had changed a, a good bit in between the different iterations of the game. Um, devotion was all them. Uh, you know, they wanted um, some kind of some kind of track. There was a, originally a, a Quetzal feather, like, economy in the game, where if you did certain mm. things, you had Quetzal feathers, which used to be yeah. a currency in, in uh, the ancient Mayan civilization. Um, and you could trade those in to do stuff. And they wanted something that was a little bit more like something that built a little bit more. The solo player, I had nothing to do with that. That was all Chris Ham. Chris Ham is one of their developers who's just, he's a great developer, great guy, but he just has a really good knack for turning, for turning out solo modes of games. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they did a good job with the solo mode. Um, have you tried the solo mode? I've read through it. I haven't played, I haven't had, I haven't, A, I haven't had my copies for that long. Um, and I really just haven't had time to sit down and like break it all out and just play it by myself with everything going. <laughs> I just yeah haven't had time. I want to, um, but you know, I, I don't really play a whole lot of, I don't play a whole lot of games and I certainly don't play a whole lot of solo games if there's not on my phone. I understand people love doing it, who love doing it. It's just, I don't, it's not my thing. Have you put this all over? No, I haven't. I actually, someone mentioned that it was good. Yeah, um, that's, I've only heard positive things about the solo mode, which apparently for this genre of game is like kind of unheard of. Um, yeah, so so normally I only play solo modes if the game is just dedicated to the solo mode. Mm. Um, and, and I love playing games that are solo, but I, if a game has kind of an added on solo mode, I generally just don't bother. Um, right. But so, but someone mentioned that it was good, and that surprised me um, because to me, what was so exciting about it, and and you can correct me if you, this seems off base, but the game to me is really a bidding game, where you're you're and you're making a, a bunch of different nested bids uh, almost at the same time. So when you're contesting over a region, and of course that means that you're adding uh, some of your units there. Maybe your god is being adjacent to the region. Maybe you're investing glyphs for later into a region. But you're bidding on a whole bunch of different things there. You're you're bidding to control it for points, right? And that's probably the main goal. But you're also building uh, bidding to build pyramids there, which can give recurring points. Mm-hmm. And you're bidding to have the most soldiers there because they go over to the uh, heroes codex and give you a bonus. Right. And you're also bidding to have the most shamans there because they go over to the calendar and right. give you a bonus. So at any given time. There are at least, how many is that? Four or five bids going on at once? Yeah. Probably four. And um, and I love the idea that you can get into a fight that maybe you're not winning in, but you can still win enough little bids right. uh, to pull ahead and do really well, even if you're not a big bruiser who's winning first every time. Yeah, that's and that's what a lot of people, I think, have a hard time wrapping their head around, that you're, not, you're never going to win every conflict. You're never going right. to win everything in every conflict. You've got to play to your gods and your like tribe abilities, strengths and weaknesses to try to maximize how you can win. 
and how you, along the way you can kind of screw with the other players too. Right. To make sure they don't win because the, the second best thing to win is making sure that the opponent doesn't win. Well, one of the things that I noticed with it is that um, now obviously this is a tuning issue and I haven't played it enough to really get a sense for it. But it seems to me like if you can come in second or third on some of those bids, um, so you're getting a lot of warrior bids or a lot of shaman bids or building a lot of temples, that you can still do quite well without ever, without necessarily coming in first all that often. Um, uh, it, I mean, it's a like I said, it's a lot of tactics. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's a conflict by kind. I wanted, and I don't know if this shines through or not. Um, I wanted every conflict to feel like a game within itself. No, and I think it does. Like, that's one of the things, like, I did know, like, you know, a little bit about this genre. Again, I haven't played a whole lot. I think uh, Chaos in the Old World is the only, like, big box dudes on a map game I've really played more than once. Mm-hmm. It's a cool game. Yeah. Um, but so many of those games have, like, it's this kind of slow motion avalanche towards building towards this crescendo of having all your dudes in one area for a big conflict. And I wanted from the start of everything, like there was going to be a fight, like because that's why you're playing these games, right? Is to like win. You, at least that was the perceived idea to me. Like you're trying to you're trying to win, right? So why instead of waiting to the end of the game to win one big thing, why aren't you just constantly winning things along the way? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely I definitely can see the bidding aspect of it. That's the the blessed region was something I did not I, I helped with. Because they wanted something special for one of the regions, so we kind of worked on that together. But the game went through um, way more iterations than than I would have ever imagined, and way more than I'll ever do again on a game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the blessed the blessed region for those who are listening in instead of doing uh, playing it straight, you basically just sacrifice a ton of people potentially. Um, to, to just win and you gain right. devotion for everyone you sacrifice to we were impressed because we were playing it fairly straight and then suddenly we had one of those uh we had a blessed contest and i sacrificed like nine guys um and, which meant for the next for the, the entire next age i i had barely anybody to work sure. with but did your god let you bring a lot of people back were you playing a god that was jabulba centric no, you know, I, I wish that I had considered that and, and dipped into Shibalba some more because I had the god that would uh, bring soldiers out onto the field, but they did need to be in my reserves. Right. Um, cool so, so what I focused on is I, um, I, I focused a lot on getting, I don't, I don't remember whether it was the shamans or the warriors who could spring five units out of Shibalba. Um, yeah. And, and so that's what I focused on was I needed yeah, to win a majority in that to get back in the game. And I did. Right. Um, yeah. And, and it was, it was, it was exciting. I loved that we were always having some sort of contest. It felt very immediate to me, which I liked. Well, spoiler kind of thing. And I've been, you know, waiting until I had the time to actually sit down and write it, but I'll be posting like a, uh, officially unofficial faster game variant as the designer, not the publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, the game begins in the second age with everything set up from the first age. So everybody starts out with the first age tribe ability and the second age tribe ability. You start on the second level of devotion. Um, Everybody starts with extra pyramid out. So, like, it drops you down in the game. It even a further 
further part down the the pacing road so that things are a little bit more explosive from the get-go. Sure. And it turns off a good bit of the, because the first age is the slowest age, especially if you've got new players. Yeah. Um, but it's also the, for the most part, the abilities are, are really toned down because, you know, so many of them are based on what age it is or what your level of devotion is. So that just, it speeds up the game a good bit. So for people who like the game, but don't, you know, think it plays too long, which, you know, that's going to be something of personal preference to me. It's a long playing game. Um, Hopefully that'll alleviate some of that without, with, with minimal impact to gameplay. So one of the things that occurred to me while I was playing is that, you know, when I, when I play some of these games that are the mythological dudes on a map uh, genre, like a blood rage or whatever it is, that there's a very thin, but careful veneer of that setting in the game to persuade me that I, you know, that I'm like in blood rage, it's Norse mythology. And a lot of the time, um, I don't know if necessarily there's that much connection between the, the things I'm playing and the actual Norse mythology. And the same goes for something like rising sun. And maybe that's because I don't know Japanese mythology all that well. Um, so when you were creating this game, um, did you actually like uh, research Mayan mythology and and try to pair the abilities of the various deities to what they would do in the mythology? So yeah, of course. Uh, that's one of. I mean, you know me. Everybody listening to this doesn't, but like I don't know. I take theme and setting fairly seriously. I have a degree in history anthropology, cultural stuff, historical stuff, all is like very interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I did a ton of research on the different, uh, the different gods that are represented in the game and with my mythology. So, and with the pace that the world moves at this point, you know, it, maybe this is different. I haven't done any research in a year or two on it, but you know, there's not a whole lot of, of actual physical, record keeping that exists from the Mayans. Um, right. But what we do know is that their centers of civilization shifted every two or three generations. Um, and there's all across the Yucatan, there's like, you know, half built and abandoned cities that like were these great centers. And then something happened and it got moved 50 miles West and they started building stuff there again. Um, also interesting, I don't, you know, if you're, uh, the Mayans were one of the few successful uh, advanced civilizations that did not have access to running water. They did not oh. have a river. System. I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they relied on cenotes, which are uh, basically caverns that fill up with rainwater in the, in the rainforest. And they would harvest water from there. Oh, okay. But every other civil, the ancient Chinese, uh, ancient Indians, ancient, uh, ancient, you know, Mesopotamians, ancient Egyptians, uh, everybody had access to fresh water, running fresh water. That was one of the, one of the keys to uh, a successful ancient civilization was having access to a complex carb that was easy to grow, access to running water and access to some form of writing. Those are like the three pinnacle, like things that a civilization needed to like survive. And the Mayans did it without, without running water. Hmm. So is so, that is that why they uh, tended to move their urban centers? Those were based on conflict things, um, and again, we don't have 
there, and again, this might've changed in the past year and a half. There's not a whole lot of, of written history. There's a couple of codices that exist um, that were recorded by various Spanish people when the, when the Europeans came. Um, but there's not, there's not like a running history. Um, and the Mayan people of 1500 years ago, they still exist in some cultural pockets, but for the most part, that civilization died out. Um, it did some parts and that's cool. Like across all of, uh, Central America, so much of that culture, like integrated and changed and shifted as the different, uh, civilizations came into power and other ones waned. So like there's not every one of, but many of the Aztec gods were Mayan gods, which were Olmec gods, which like there's this whole, but like where you were in the region dictated how you pronounce their name or exactly what you called them or exactly what they did. And it's crazy. Like you asked me about researching the gods and stuff. So like Ahuacan and Kukulkan are really the same God. So every God has like 19 different forms, depending on like which way it's facing, uh, what time of the day it is, where you are. Um, so yeah, there was like, it, it was really difficult to try to attempt to get anything right. And I'm sure I got things wrong. Um, but you know, I, I tried my best to, you know, consult with the, with what I could to make sure that, you know, I represented it accurately. Again, it is fantasy. It is mythology. It's, there's no, <laughs> there's no attempt to be, to make this historically accurate. Oh, um, absolutely. It's just a, it's a culture that's, that, that fascinates me uh, from like a mythology standpoint that just, you don't hear a whole lot of people talking about it or doing like, and if I can get, you know, if, if one person plays this game and, you know, turns around and spends a day looking at Mayan stuff, that's awesome. Like, yeah, that I hope it does. I mean, cause it's so interesting. Is, is that something you were considering while making the game is, is that moving tendency toward urban centers or was it just what yeah. the gods do? Yeah. So that's what, it was one of the hard things to, to which that aspect of the game I hope plays out in the the concept of at the end of every age, everything's gone, mm-hmm. right? You have, you may leave a pyramid, you may leave a glyph, but like all your dudes are gone. Everybody's off the map and you have to start again. So like that was one of the hard sells to, to one of the, one of the developers was like why we were doing this. And I was like, because it's, it, it's how things were. Like there were people there and then there weren't, like they didn't, they didn't, three people didn't camp out and wait around for things to come back. Like everybody left or died. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, I really wanted that to, to play out in the gameplay that, you know, things shifted and things were rebuilt. And that's another thing that's kind of prevalent in the Mayan mythology is like the concept of rebirth. So sure. I tried to make sure that was incorporated at some level. So are you, are you pleased with the final result or is it something that, so it sounds like you don't want to do this again. No, I'm pleased with the game. I think they did, you know, I, I think they did a great job with it. I don't think, you know, there, again, there are some things that were me at the helm doing it. I would have done slightly differently. Um, again, I understand why they were done. Um, but yeah, I'll never make another big game. I just, it, I did it once. Don't need to do it. Don't ever want to do it again. It just, no, <laughs> for so many different reasons. And it's, you know, 
uh, yeah, I just, it's, it wasn't fun. And I know that you don't work because it's fun. Um, but there is some aspect of enjoyment that comes out of doing what I do and mm -hmm. the designing mezzo was not fun. It initially was, don't get me wrong, but like all I could keep thinking about was, well, I mean, you know, you're familiar enough with the games I make that, you know, I make smaller games. Yeah. They're not necessarily light games, but they're smaller. So all I could think about was like, man, I'm spend, I've spent, you know, 18 months on this game. How many other games could I have made in this time? Like, sure. did, you know, would have been a different kind of game, granted. But like how much bandwidth making this game took up and it was just because like if i make a card game and let's say maxed out it has 100 cards in it well that's just you know if one thing's wrong i can go in and change one or two cards or change the way a mechanic works to affect all of the cards with this game if there was something wrong there was like 300 components i had to go back in and check how it affected them yeah and it just like I get it. Like if that's your thing and you get like, that does it for you. Awesome. It doesn't do it for me. <laughs> and again, I guess that's because I don't really enjoy playing those kind of games that are that like fiddly is not quite the right word, but that component interaction heavy. So it sounds like you're glad you did it, but perhaps as a, uh, as a cautionary tale for yourself, you should learn something from everything. Yeah. A good outlook on life. I think there's, Things could always go better, but there's always something to learn from every experience. So now that you're back doing small box games, what are you working on and what can we expect to see in the next year? You know, uh, global pandemic permitting. Oh, Dan, uh, I don't do a lot of, <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's really sucks. Uh, and I get it. Like everybody's affected. I don't do a lot of planning uh, and I don't do a lot of planning because I feel, I feel like if I get, if I make myself a checklist of stuff and I miss one thing on that checklist, like I can't function. I got to mm. do everything I can to get that one thing done or I don't do anything. So like I figured that out a long time ago. I, I just stopped making checklists because I do what I knew I need to get done and, and I do it. Um, but I made this long, like <laughs> here's what I'm planning on doing in 2020 for small box games thing, like personally for myself. And we had, um, uh, we had a couple of things happen in our household. We had a, which, you know, if, if you don't have pets, you don't get it. But like, uh, one of our cats kind of died suddenly, like in our arms kind of thing. And I'm then, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it sucked. And then, uh, a month later, our 15 year old Boston Terrier had a seizure in the middle of the night and we had to go take her and have her put down the next morning. Oh, so okay. yeah. And then. <laughs> We had a, we both had a couple things going on at work. And so like everything that I had, like, these, like, just like to the letter plans, like slowly started like chipping away. And I'm like, all right, next month it'll be better. And it finally got to where things were better and I had pre-orders up and I'm rocking and rolling and the pandemic hit and it like reset everything. So I don't really know what this year holds for me. Um, uh, obviously more print and play games. Uh, but then again, not the print and plays that I had planned on. And 
it's going to be difficult to do all the things that I want to do via print and play because it's really hard to recoup art costs on a print and play because <laughs> sure. it's, it, it's not, it's just not feasible. I mean, they've done fine. I, I always want them to do better, but you know, people are buying them and people are enjoying them, but it's not nearly the volume um, that I need it to be to like sustain it. Um, and certainly not at the volume where I can uh, commission, you know, artwork for them to do them. So yeah. I'm uh, doing artwork myself, trying to, um, which, you know, I can, I can manage some stuff. Uh, my wife actually illustrated uh, the last two of the last games that got put up, uh, Cacti and Bronze Age. Um, oh, okay. Which, you know, Cacti, I wanted something that she always has great ideas. Um, so I'm, I'm, I was trying to do something that, you know, weird came to weird that could do good on Etsy. Um, so cacti is a really cute, like lightly illustrated game about growing and putting cacti into arrangements. And it mm-hmm. looks like something you could get off Etsy. Um, sure. And then Bronze Age, I wanted, I learned my lesson with Neolithic, the original. Um, I tried to design Neolithic to look like, uh, like a history textbook with the illustrations and the layout and stuff and to make mm-hmm. it look like a 1992 Ravensburger game and I did too good of a job (laughs) (laughs) and I wanted to make sure that I did because I think like the pinnacle the pinnacle of game design presentation is Glory to Rome Black Box Edition I don't think there's ever been a better looking game ever made like Mm -hmm. to me that is just like the best looking game just simple simple icons great color scheme great layout. Like that's what everybody should aspire for their games to look like. Um, so I wanted to make a game kind of in a similar, like, you know, mild, mild vein that cause it's in a game that's so heavily reliant on the icons. I wanted to make sure that they were really clear. Um, and Liz did a fantastic job. I mean, I love, I love the way Bronze Age looks. I know it's not simple. Isn't everybody's, everybody's thing, but you know, every game can't look like Omen. It just then every game would look like Omen and no game would look good. So yeah, uh, it's just. But going back, yeah, it's going to be hard to uh, hard to get uh, the amount of art done for the card game. I mean, because you've played my games before, there's a fair amount of art in them um, of unique illustrations. That is, so it's going to be hard to swing like making that make sense on a print and play level. So hopefully, factory opens back up. You know, the stuff that's on print and play now and the stuff that I release on print and play will eventually find a physical home. What's on what's on the docket for, for you for the rest of the year? Um, that's a good question. Were you planning on going to any big conventions? You know, I, I tend to prefer smaller conventions to big ones, but I was considering going back to Gen Con this year. I don't think that'll happen. I guess, I guess flights would be cheap. Yeah, I mean, if they're even flying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much. I mean, the world has hit pause. You know, and, yeah. uh, we'll see what cancels and what doesn't. But yeah, so I, I went to SaltCon, um, like right before uh, everyone became fully aware of everything that was going on and the lockdowns began. Sure. Um, and that was pleasant. Um, obviously, our our hobby is so based on sitting down across from people and uh, touching the same things. And uh, breathing the same air <laughs> that it's uh, it's an interesting time to be in this hobby. 
Um, on the upside, I, th- I think that this hobby has really prepared me at least to sit down and spend time with my wife and with my kids um, in a constructive way so that we're not going quite as stir crazy as we might be otherwise. Well, thank you, John. I should probably wrap up. Thank you so much for talking with me this evening. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a blast. Do you want to go ahead and plug yourself? Where can people find your print and play games if they are curious about what you've been up to? Uh, smallboxgames.com. Um, it's, you know, you order it, you download it right there, and you can print it and play it, and you're ready to go. 